Hey everyone, this is Matt with 420 Ministries. I'm super excited for you to all to have the chance to listen to the first teaching on our series that we're gonna be doing walking through the book of Hebrews. Uh, the book of Hebrews is a book that I feel like invites the believer into a revelation of who Jesus is as our high priest, Jesus as the manifested son of God, and Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. My prayer and our prayer as a team is that as you enjoy this podcast, as you listen to this series, you would be brought into a revelation on exactly those things. We're praying for you this week. If there's anything that you would specifically like us as a team to be praying for, please do not hesitate to reach out to us on any of our social media platforms. And we bless you in the name of Jesus as you listen to this week's message. Love you guys. For the past 12 weeks, We've been in a series of learning what it means to minister to the Lord, establishing that as a culture. When we say, you, you, you see it on the signs when you come in, you hear it in our language a lot, ministering to the Lord, ministering to the Lord, what does that mean? And so for 12 weeks, we, we taught on what does it mean to minister to the Lord? Um, and then shortly as that series was, was getting ready to end, Jeff and Clay and I had the privilege of going away um, for a weekend together just for a retreat to spend some specific time in prayer, in worship, dreaming with the Lord. It wasn't a huge amount of time, but it was, it was, a, good, it was a good little chunk of time nonetheless. Um, and then coming out of that time, one of the things that the Lord put on my heart was establishing a generation of people that if we are going to call ourselves a group of Jesus people that exist to minister to the Lord and live out the gospel every day, it is, it is extremely crucial that we don't read this word for information, but we read this word for the encounter of the person within the pages. Does that make sense when I say that? Because oftentimes, there's this, and this blows my mind, I was learning about this um, a couple of months ago, there's men and women that have given their lives to the study of scripture, but they don't know him, they're not saved. Like they would not call themselves a born again Christ follower. They would not call themselves a, a person of the faith, but they've given their lives to like any other historical document to discovering, learning, becoming an expert in the contents of the document. But their heart is far from him and they do not know the author. As it has been said by a man that came way before me, the scriptures is the only book that demands that the author be present when one reads it. And so we cannot read this book without the Holy Spirit. And it's extremely important that, and, and this is, and there, there's multiple generations re, rep, represented in this room today, that we have a culture and we have a foundation of biblical literacy of where we view the scriptures through the lens of Jesus Christ and we view them as God's love letter to humanity. Amen? And so for the next couple of weeks, um, we are going to be going through the book of Hebrews. There's a couple of reasons as to why I felt led that the Lord wanted to lead us into, uh, into this book. Um, I think that, personal opinion, if there's any book that we could dive into as a community to further our, really, our, our experiment and our study of, of what this is becoming on Thursday nights, of practicing what it means to minister to the Lord, doing that corporately, and then honestly doing what it is that we just did, taking time to be like, okay, Jesus is offering a word. How do we respond to that? 
People bring needs into a room. How do we respond to that? And you step very slowly and move very meticulously and honorably and reverently through it. I believe that Hebrews has a framework to walking us into an encounter with Jesus Christ as our holy priest, unlike any other book in in scripture, unlike any other book in the Bible. And so, and I do want to ask this, that I know that because we meet on Thursday nights, that can kind of set this up a little bit for um, a little bit of a revolving door of like, I I know there's many of us that have Sunday morning gatherings that you go to, um, and and it's hard sometimes to... uh, to, to create some level of, of, of consistency um, within just meeting on a Thursday night. But as often as you are here, I would really like it if for this series, if you are making a commitment and you have made a commitment to be here on Thursday nights, that you would start bringing your physical Bible with you. I don't have any problem with, I use the Bible app on my phone all the time all the time. And I, I, have, I have a friend of mine that actually will only use an iPad Bible because he can store more notes and highlights and, and different things on it. This is not a problem with a technologically advanced Bible at all. But like, it's just, um, I, think, I think wanting to just establish there's something intentional that says, hey, I took this off my shelf and brought it with me and I, and I, and I carried it with me. And so for this series, to the best that you can, I'm remembering to bring a physical Bible with you because as we're going into Hebrews, we're just gonna be going through this verse by verse, taking it very slowly, reading it together. And often, and, and there may be times of where we, in an effort to get through a whole chapter in an evening, we may only get through the first five or, or six verses because that's just what the Lord has for us in that night. But we're gonna do it together and we will do it slowly and, um, and we'll enjoy the word together, Amen. Amen. So if you would with me, uh, please turn to Hebrews chapter one, Hebrews chapter one, whether it's in your phone, in a physical Bible or um, any, any other device that you have the, your, the, the scriptures on. But it's interesting, the, the word Hebrews actually means to those who have crossed over. The word Hebrews means to those who have crossed over. And, uh, and it's debated a little bit about um, who is actually the author of the book of Hebrews, whether it was Paul or two other guys, that it's, it's debated on like, hey, who actually authored this book? But most people would believe that it was the Apostle Paul. But, but, and, and, and so for that case, we will just say that Paul was writing to a group of men and women who had recently converted from Judaism to Christianity. And so one of the main things that Paul is wanting to do is to give for all intents and purposes, this group of new believers, a revelation of the God that they have just given their lives over to, and not just how to follow him based off of a legalism and law standpoint, but in a, in a totally new realm of trust and thought that these people have never entered into, which is Jesus as their high priest, which is totally new for them. You have to think of a people that are an Old Testament people viewing and understanding this gospel message in a way that has, it's the first time it's ever been presented to them. And so that's also one of the reasons why we're going to read it slowly. But here's what I would like to do right now. Let's just start with me in verse one. And by the way, I won't always do this. And if you don't have a Bible or you do better by seeing and not reading, feel free to just watch up on the screens. Every, every verse will be up there. Um, we're gonna be reading out of the Passion Translation tonight. I don't normally 
teach out of the Passion Translation. Um, I think that the Passion Translation is beautiful and amazing for personal reading, devotion, but um, for, for, for study, I'd prefer to teach out of something else, but for tonight, um, I really would like to read out of this translation, so if it sounds different, that's the only reason why. But the Passion Translation is also up on the screen, so um, you'll see it there. But beginning in verse one, throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways. The revelation he gave them was only a fragment at the time, building one truth upon another. Verse two, but to us living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son. The New American Standard Version would say he speaks to us in the language of the son. Now, here's, now, if we can stop right there in verse two, this is, in, this is what I want to point out. Jesus Christ is the language of God the Father. If, if, if God had to speak a language, he would speak the language of sonship. Do, women, you are included in there. I'm not saying sonship, male only. When I say sonship, that includes if you are a man or a woman, you are grafted into this realm of sonship. And if we're going to be called sons, men, you can also be called a bride, the bride of Christ. So... You, you can learn to get over it. <laughs> God speaks the language of sonship. And in the words of, of a man named Bill Johnson, Jesus Christ is perfect theology. When God created the world, when God created us, he saw the relationship that the father would have with the son, Jesus Christ, as the blueprint of what he would get to have with us. This is why it's important that we understand Jesus, fully God and fully man, as it says in the letters of Paul multiple times, that Jesus laid aside, he did not disqualify divinity, but he did not count it as something to cling to, but yet fully embraced his humanity. Because if Jesus did, and he was everything that he was, only as God, not as man, it gives us something to admire. But if Jesus did and existed in exactly the way that he was, also equally as man, it gives us something to step into, and then it becomes an invitation. And it's not just something to admire from afar, but it actually becomes an invitation of something we get to step into. And this is when relationship begins to happen. God speaks the language of sonship. And when we read in these last days, but to us living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son. What we want to understand is the last days here, that speaks of current time in human history between Acts chapter 2 and the coming age of Christ. Oftentimes, people say the last days after, guys, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been in the last days. So oftentimes when I hear people say we're living in the last days, it's like, well, we've, we've been in the last days. We've, we've been in them. Like, they are happening right now. And, and if, if personally, if you want to be honest, I think that they are happening more than ever. Just, actually, don't turn on the news. But <laughs> you'd probably be better off not. But still, you get, you get what I'm saying, Yeah. And then here's something I also want to say. I have been guilty many times of using the phrase, well, that was back in Bible times. That, well, well, that was then, this is now. 
when the veil was torn at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that veil was torn, I don't have scripture to back this up, so you can totally disregard this. This is just me expressing myself in holy thought towards you. I believe that when that veil was torn, there was a significant tick on the timeline of life that what Adam and Eve threw away in the garden, it instantly became reaccessible and reestablished again. Because the Garden of Eden was God's original intent for God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit existing with man. Unbroken union, unbroken fellowship, un unbroken intimacy. Actually, when Adam sinned in the garden and God the Father, Yahweh, comes walking into the garden and says, Adam, where are you? If you do a, a word study on Adam, where are you? The language that breaks down in that statement, Adam, comma, where are you? Question mark. It's actually... The, it's, not the, the, it's not Yahweh saying, hey, where are you in the sense of I, I lost you. I don't know where you are, like come out of hiding. It's actually, where are you? You were here and you have fallen. You, you are not where I placed you. You're, you are not where I created you. You have come down to a level that was not designed or created for you. Where are you? Because you're not, you're not where I left you. It's not oh, all of a sudden, I just don't know where my only created son is. Like, like God is not lost and he has not lost his son. It's not a game of hide and seek. It's an authoritative statement that reveals holy position and personal value. Where are you? I feel, I feel kind of corny saying this, but it's like, it feels like such a dumb tagline, but like in all seriousness, where are you with God tonight? Like, where are you with Jesus tonight? Where do you sit with him? Do you sit in a seat of sonship? Do you sit in a seat of daughterhood? Do you sit in a seat of intimacy where he is yours and you are his? Or do you sit in a seat of self-condemnation? Do you sit in a seat of self-hatred? Do you sit in a seat of navel-gazing, of never enough, not enough, need to do more? Because if that's where you are, the Father comes to you tonight saying, my beloved daughter, my beloved son, where are you? Are y'all still with me? So it's important that we understand the early disciples did not have it better than we do. Oftentimes, I always think, well, only, only to be John that got to recline against him, like literally and actually. And to hear the convicting voice of the Father come into a, come into a secret place time and say, well, why not now? If I was here in the flesh, I would look at you and say, what I have left you is better. John chapter 14, the end of it. What I have left you is better. That challenges me and wakes something up in me that there's a member of the Godhead available to be encountered and experienced in a way that bypasses impressive thought and study alone, but is a heart connection with this God that has made himself scary available to you. Scary available to you. Easily available to you. Is it learned and is it practiced? Yes, any relationship involving intimacy is. Like, come on, friendship, marriage, 
father to a daughter, daughter to a mother, to a brother, to a sister, like any, any way that that changes, any relationship is practiced and walked out with intentionality. It's, it's not just, when, when I say easy, I don't want you to, I don't want you to hear um, void of intentionality, of, of, of set aside time of practice. That's not, what I'm, that's not what I'm saying. Jesus is a real individual with emotions, thoughts, and feelings that have the capacity to be affected by the response of his people. I believe when you wake up early in the morning to go be with him, he's there waiting for you to accept you, to breathe you in and have you breathe him in. Late at night, when you're tired and you're exhausted, I believe he looks over at you asking, come away with me, come away with me, come away with me. In the middle of your day, literally, in, in the five minute, two minute, one minute, 60 second passings of your day, I believe Jesus waits and hinges on each moment that you can come away with him and be with him. And as glorious and as amazing as life would be to like just have unlimited time set aside to be with him in the exact way that you want and in the, and, and in the exact way you would prefer, oftentimes our life is defined by these passing and turning moments of where we, like, we learn to engage with him on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. The, uh, the monastics, the, the, these early Christian monks used to refer to, they, they had a phrase for this called statio, S-T-A-T-I-O, statio. And oftentimes in, in monasteries, they would have bells that would ring, not to mark the, the hour of each day, but these bells in these monasteries would ring to actually draw the monks' attention back to the presence of God. It would happen multiple times randomly throughout the day. Oh, like they, they would be working. A lot of times the, the tent-making job of a monk was making handicrafts or like different like handmade like things that they would sell in markets or stores. And sometimes in their work, their attention, they know would draw from the Lord. So they literally would have bells in monasteries that would chime to draw their attention back onto him, to give themselves back over to the Lord. A practical point Set, a, set a, a timer, a vibration on your phone every hour to, and just write on there, where are you? And imagine it's the Lord just saying, like, I'm waiting. Before you ever decided to show up, I was waiting. As you decided to wait on me, I was waiting on you. The waiting on God was actually just your soul softening until you had to realize he was waiting for you to receive him. Again, all of this is learned. All of this is practiced. That's one of the main things that we're doing here, if not the main thing that we're doing here on Thursday nights. It just happens to happen with incredibly gifted musicians and a, and a great team. But that is, that's literally what we are practicing and doing here. And this is, this is for, this stretches from, I was, uh, I was spending some time with uh, my dad this weekend as we were on vacation. And my dad is a furious lover of Jesus um, and he's also an incredibly gifted businessman, um, incredibly gifted. And the way that my dad in, a, in the business sector of life practices engaging with the Lord is, it just, it blows my mind. I mean, he's just, he's, he's a marketplace missionary in the way that he views his comings and goings with the Lord. 
And it sets such an example to me because his life is way more crazy and way more demanding than mine. And he does it in a way that is just, it's just, it's beautiful and it's effortless. And I learned so much from watching him in the way that he does this. He would never speak that highly of himself in that way, but I'll do it for him. Give honor where honor is due. All right, how about we move on to verse three? The son is the, da- the son, this is God, God the son, Jesus Christ. The son is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor. That's a ridiculous sentence. It's not even a sentence. There's a comma after splendor in my Bible. The son is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor. He is the exact expression of God's true nature. In the words of John chapter 14, when Thomas is saying, Jesus, just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Thomas, have I, have I been with you for so long, yet you still do not know me? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Just believe that the Father and I are one and it will be enough for you. Jesus, when, and in Colossians 1.15, that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And then when you go to Colossians 2, it actually says that God the Father thought well of it, that the Godhead would dwell in Christ bodily. Colossians chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 2, expertly, it's almost like Paul knew what he was doing, expertly explains the divinity of Christ. He is God, he is the Father revealed, and he is personal and personable. When you see Jesus, you have seen the Father. If that wasn't enough, continuing on in verse three, he holds the universe together and expands it by the mighty power of his spoken word. And I just, can I just say something to that as we're going through this? Where, and this is not a trick question, if you are born again in here, where does God live? Where does God live? Inside of you, right? Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, even more, even more, appropriately, more, more appropriate to say everywhere. And so with God being everywhere, he's the substance that we breathe. He's, you, you, will, you will leave here tonight living, moving, and having your being in God. And then you also house him because God will not live permanently in a temple made by human hands, but you are not made by human hands. You are made by holy hands and you are a temple that is held and knit together by the very existence of God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit. And you live and move and have your being in him. Because without him, because God does exist everywhere, you would cease to exist. So when you come into your prayer time to sit and be with the Lord, whether you took five steps to get you there or you got in a car and drove somewhere and walked around to be somewhere, you're spending time with the Lord. Even in your act of like, hey, I'm gonna go be with the Lord. I'm gonna go read my Bible. Those steps to the prayer closet we're already holy, 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 holy. Because it was with him. He is everywhere. The day that you got saved is the day that you gave up the right. I gave up the right to think that there is any secular work in our life. 
There's no secular work in the life of the Christ follower because everything became holy as unto him. Everything became an act of this is my worship unto you. This is my ministry unto you. This is my service unto you. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten so convicted of Conrad will be like just losing his mind and he's, he's to a point now of where it's like he is really locked into a schedule and routine that like eight o'clock rolls around and he's like, okay, if my face is not on the pillow by eight o'clock, I'm going to let you know that I'm mad. <laughs> and times of when like, because you just want, I just want more time with Brandy or we're trying to do something together um, and Conrad will just start to lose his mind and just let me know, hey, I would like to be in bed right now. And he's communicating in the only way that he knows those moments of where I'm like, I'm, the last thing I'm thinking of is, is the Lord. But even in my son's scream and in his fit, the Lord is like, oh, to be present in this with you. Oh, oh to be present with this. In, oh, to be present in this with you. The frustrations and the annoyances of your day that you think God is banished from in disgust because it's not polished and clean in, you, in the way that you think it needs to be, those are the very moments that the Lord has actually come closest and said, oh, to be present with you in your sufferings. Oh, to be present with you in your weaknesses. Oh, to be present with you in your temptations. How guilty I am of falling into a trap of when something goes well or I have done well, that heaven would stand up and applaud me when it was actually, no, we, we were cheering you on. Even in your failure, we stood up and drew closer to you near because it was the applause of heaven and the goodness of the Father that drew you back into a life of repentance. So you could actually say appropriately, don't get weird with me on this. Failure is actually how you win in the kingdom. I'm not saying by purposefully going out, making mistakes, living immorally. I'm talking about your weakness qualifies you. Your weakness is what draws him. If Bentley would have come up here and offered that word and we just all would have looked at each other and that, and that would have been it, you want to know what heaven would have been doing? Oh my gosh, I can't believe he actually believed us. I can't believe he took us at his word. <laughs> in a good way, in a good way. Like, oh my gosh, have you considered one that actually believes me? He actually believed it. He actually went for it. The time of where you did not want to be with the Lord because of something that happened in your day or, you know, it would be really easier for me to go isolate and I feel like I'm like, borderline on this weird legalistic line right now and I don't want it to be that. So don't, please don't go there. Don't swing over to that with me. But when you make a decision that says, I will come away with you and be with you, the way that all of heaven says, wow, they believe me. They're taking me at my word. Look at the way that they're answering the invitation. If his spirit has been poured out upon all flesh, there's a pretty grand invitation to be answered. Amen? Man. Sorry, I completely lost where I, where I was. Okay, yeah, sorry. Verse three is, real, is way longer than what I thought. So we're still, we're in the middle of verse three. We are at he accomplished. You guys with me? He accomplished. Okay, that's where we're picking up. He accomplished for us. We, we sang this tonight. 
He accomplished for us the complete cleansing of sins and then took his seat on the highest throne at the right hand of the majestic one. Of the majestic one. If you're wondering who that is, uh, the, it, it's, it's, a, it's a paraphrasing term for the father, for Yahweh. Go with me to verse four. Now here's where I want us to, uh, we're, we're going to merge into something Stick with me as we are talking through this section, okay? Just stick with me in this. He is infinitely greater than angels, for he inherited a rank and a name far greater than theirs. For God has never said to any angel what he said to Jesus. Now, stick with me in this. This is the father to the son. You are my favored son. Today, I have fathered you. And this has also been said. I will be the father to him and he will be the son to me. Verse six. And again, when he brought his firstborn son into the world, let all my angels bow down before him and kiss him in worship. Remember, the very first message that we did here on a Thursday night was about worship. And we talked about a word, a Greek word. I don't expect you to remember it. It's, if, if I didn't have it written down, I wouldn't have remembered it. Proskuneo. Proskuneo. It was the tip of your tongue. It was right, it was right, it was right there. <laughs> Gosh darn it, dude. So I want to I wanna, um, lay this out for us. Proskuneo includes three concepts. To bow to kiss, and to pay homage to, to worship. So, and remember, in that first week of learning about what worship was, out of all the definitions that we went through, the purest, most definitive form of worship was to bow down and kiss. A lot of times, people, I've heard people say, well, God is a pretty vain and self-absorbed God that he would demand your worship. He would demand your ministry. We are not gathering here on a Thursday night to go through a a toll that credits our heavenly bank account so that at the end of our lives, we're not screwed. We are gathering because we have been drawn with love by the one that is love himself Nathaniel said it at the very beginning, if you, were, if you were in here for this, we are here for love exchange. In loving him, he loves us. And it's, it's almost like a slinky downstairs. He loves us, we love him. He loves us, we love him. There's a constant reception. What's, what's the other word for reception? Uh, uh, what's, what's that? Uh, reciprocation, reciprocation. There's a constant, good job, Matt. There's... <laughs> There's a constant reception and reciprocation upon the feet of Jesus of received love and then reciprocated love, your ministry unto him. A bowing down at the feet of Jesus and a paying homage, a kissing of the feet of the one that is only worthy to ever receive that type of offering or glory. There's angels doing this on a constant basis. Oh, to be a fly on the wall in the throne room to see a sight like that. And one day we will see it. But what's amazing to this is I've heard people say, well, God's a pretty self-absorbed and vain God that he would demand worship. 
God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, by the way, before the foundation of the creation of the world and that mystical dance of the Trinity that exists, they were perfectly happy with one and three and three and one, existing for each other, singing praises simply to each other. I don't understand it. I'm not gonna try to. That is way above my theological pay grade of explanation. But I know that it was glorious. And I'd like to think that the creation of the world was the spilling over of the romantically lovesick heart of God and it spilled out and it looked like you and me, all of us in this room and the world that we live in together. And it was the spilling forth of God not being able to contain himself with a lovesick heart for people. It manifested in, boom, I created you. I've given you a world to live in and to enjoy. And I've given you all of these different ways, your breath, your sight, your taste, your touch, your smell, to be able to relate to me. Everything about you is designed to get to relate to and enjoy him. He's not self-absorbed or insecure that he says, you will worship me. I need this from you. He has more angels than we know what to do with giving him praise and glory day and night. It's just that when we see him, the only appropriate response is to go flat on your face before him. Worship (laughs) worship is the only response the only appropriate response of what happens when you see him and when you come into his presence and oftentimes you probably might not even be aware of the fact that you're doing it there's sometimes people in worship they like to jump and scream and wave their arms and walk back and forth there's some people that just want to sit and be still and be silent because they're so overwhelmed with their affection it's like I don't even know what to do I don't even know what to do this. I'm just going to sit and be still and let my stillness be an offering. There's some people that are so silent because they're like, I don't even have words that would scratch a surface to offer praise and worship to a God so beautiful and so majestic. Silence is my only answer. In the words of someone that has come way before me, radical Christianity is not how high you jump in worship. It is how you walk when you come down. I can scream, shout, whistle, clap in worship. But when I, when I go back to the secret place, is there a well-worn place on the carpet where my knees are familiar with hitting? Is the purest sound of worship in my life the clanging of the crown that the Father has placed upon me and I say, no, it's yours, take it. I can't afford to wear it. I don't want to wear it. And it's the clanging of my crown of royalty at his feet declaring you are the only one that is worthy. And the purest form of worship is the clanging of my crown at his feet, my inheritance at his feet, my wants and desires at his feet, the way that I think the next season of life for my family should go at his feet and dissolving myself into himself. You guys still with me? Are we there? Are we there together in this? Okay, in verse seven, and about his angels, he says, yeah, and about his angels, he says, I make my angels swift winds and my ministers, my ministers fiery flames, but about his son, he called him God. Plain and simple, about his son, he called him God. 
saying, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever, and you will rule your kingdom with justice and righteousness. Can I tell you that one of my biggest temptations and something I have to intentionally take thoughts captive on is recognizing and realizing that um, no one gets away with anything. No one gets away with anything. And there's oftentimes injustices that I see done to other people, things that I see happen, ways that I see things stewarded and cared for, the state of our country, the state of our political situation right now. I say it jokingly, but I'm serious. Like oftentimes like you, you turn on the news and you just wonder like, how is this happening? Like just how is this happening? Like what, what is going on? You spend more than 10 minutes watching it. You end up in just like a K-hole of depression and hopelessness. But what's amazing to me is that more than a sign on a Sunday school wall that my son will learn to quote one day, it's not just a pretty Sunday school message. No one gets away with anything. And justice and righteousness and the accountability of man is wrapped up in the fist of the Father. And he holds it all together. And there is coming a day and there's coming a time that we live in now Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, where we will give an account for our lives. Wickedness that is done will give an account for what it has done and what it has been doing. And we will meet the one that formed us. And my ask of us as a community is that we are a portion of the Father's heart that has discipled ourselves as lovers of him to say, we were waiting for you. We were waiting for you. Here we are. When you cried out, where are you? We said, we are here. We gather on Thursday nights to say, here we are. Expose your feet to us. Let us approach you here. Bow down, kiss you, dissolve our lives into the wounds on your feet and say, you are our greatest obsession. We will practice this. We will learn this. We will discover this. We will make room for, okay, what now? What do we do? <laughs> How do we pray through it? Because he's worthy and he's worth it. Amen? <clears throat> I got lost again. Sorry, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to find my place. With justice and righteousness. If we're going to be done on time, I really, I've got to like, I should have known this would happen. Okay, we're good. You know, we're just going to go straight through to the end. We're at nine. There's only 14 verses. So just stay with me real quick. For you have cherished righteousness and detested lawlessness. For this reason, God, your God, has anointed you and poured out the oil of bliss on you more than on any of your friends. Remember, this is still the father to the son. And he called him Lord, saying, Lord, you formed the earth in the beginning, and with your own hands you crafted the cosmos. They will both one day disappear, but you will remain forever. They will all fade like a worn-out garment, and they will be changed like clothes, and you will fold them up and put them away. But you are I am, 
I am. The same way in Exodus chapter three, verse, verse 14, Yahweh revealed to Moses, I am. But you are I am. You never change. Years without end. And God has never said this to any of his angels. So that whole conversation that we just got done going through, if you are really interested in the topic of it, there's people that I can suggest to you that, 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 that teach on the topic of angels and that realm of the supernatural. Way, and they just know about it way more than I do, way, way better than I do. If you want my personal opinion on it, I fully believe that angelic activity is happening and alive and is, ha- and is happening today. I believe that as we were worshiping, if our eyes were to have been open to the spirit realm, there would be angels spinning and dancing all over this room. Personally, that is where I'm at. If you are not there, that's fine. I'm just letting you know that that's where I'm at. <laughs> and I just think that that's way more awesome. <laughs> I don't believe that we pray to angels. I don't, I don't believe, and, and we do not believe that you pray to angels. We do not believe that um, angels are deity but they are fiery ministering servants that exist, as Psalm 91 says, that God has commanded them concerning you. Commanded them concerning you. So I do believe that we should have ourselves be open to the angelic activity of ministering angels in our lives. If you don't know what the difference is between the how do I know if it's an angel or if it's Jesus, Just stay focused on Jesus the whole time. If it happens to be an angel, then cool. (laughs) But let's just stay focused on Jesus the whole time. Anything accessory at the top is just glory unto him. Like I said, I'm not a super huge expert on the topic. As we close this out, and God has never said this to any of his angels, take your seat next to me at my right hand until I force your whispering enemies to be a rug under your feet. Imagine every injustice done out of the fallen state of man, unredeemed by not saying yes to the salvation call of Jesus Christ. One day coming under the feet of Jesus and him laughing at it, as Psalm chapter two says. Every injustice done against you, if you're in this room tonight and there's been trauma done towards you, abuse that was done towards you, things that you endured of, I can't believe they got away with that. I can't believe there wasn't an answer for that. I don't want to give some blanket statement of like, not, not because it's not, it's not great. I just, I just don't want to polish over that. I don't just want to say, oh, God's in control. It's all good. Get over it. Maybe there's a process for you to come into of, of, of walking a healing journey with the Lord and what that is. I don't know. And, that, and that's for you to discover and for you to walk out. If that's part of his intimacy and his relationship with you, then by all means, say yes to it. But at the end of time, no one's going to get away with anything. Closing out the chap- chapter one, what role then do the angels have? The angels are spirit messengers sent by God to serve those who are going to be saved, as, as I just said a, a couple minutes ago. So I want to say this. If there's one thing, I want you to leave here tonight. Maybe there's something that stuck out to you in the worship with music. Maybe there's something that stuck out to you in this message that you want to leave here meditating on. If there's something that I would love that you would do as you leave here today is that 
whether it's on a watch that you have or on your phone, I would love it if you would commit for a week and, and, and may, maybe you do it every hour, maybe you do it every half hour, maybe you do it at a time in the morning or a time in the evening, um, any more or less than that, I don't know, that might, that might be a little overwhelming and your phone might be buzzing the whole entire day. Set a, a ding or a reminder or something on your phone where you go this week, Thursday to Thursday, of where you are intentional about having passing moments with the Lord, just passing moments with him. And it's, and it's driving into work is holy, holy, holy unto him. In the frustration of the day did not go how you wanted it to, I'm annoyed and that bothers me. Even that, that's holy, holy, holy unto him. How much more present is he in our frustrations? It's just in that moment, all I seem to see is myself. And I don't see him sitting in front of me waiting to receive me. But set something on your, something that draws your attention multiple times throughout the day of, okay, return to him, return to him, refocus on him, re-see re him, re-center on him, re-holding re, re him in that position again. Yeah? Cool. All right, stand to your feet with me as we close tonight. <clears throat> so as we are closing right now, um, any of the individuals that got prayed for off of the word of knowledge that was offered at the beginning, if you would like more prayer, um, and, and that's something that is just like, hey, I, I would like more prayer on this, then um, either, either come up here uh, to the front and stand and someone will come up to pray for you or just stay where you're seated. And as someone is walking by, your prayer team is everyone that is sitting around you. Um, there's no one in here that's more anointed or, 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 or more gifted to pray for you than, than the body and then the community. So as someone is walking by, you say, hey, I would still like prayer and then just grab someone um, and, and ask them to, to pray for you. If you want Bentley to pray for you specifically because he was the one that offered the word, then just come grab him. But, um, or if there's, if there's something else that, that wasn't that physical need and that you would like prayer for or something that you would like to talk through something with, I will be up here, Clay will be back there, um, and you can, and, you're, and uh, Pete is right up here as well, there, and there's, you're, you're more than welcome to just, just come and offer that. But uh, let's close out tonight in prayer, okay? So Jesus... We confess to the fact, um, I confess to the fact of how much I'm learning about who you are and what you do, the way that you do things, um, and just everything. I'm learning how to relate to you. I'm learning how you relate to me. And I'm, and I'm thankful for that. I pray that we never stop learning. I pray that we never get to a point where our heart gets calloused and saying, yep, I have mastered this. I have got this. Please have mercy on us that the message of the gospel would never become familiar, ever. Every time we hear it, it would break us and then heal us over and over and over again for as many years as you give us. As we leave here, as we go tomorrow to close out the, the, the work week, we would have a Friday that is a morning, noon, and night 
of attentive moments to your abiding presence with us. And all that we would do is simply in, in the same way that we just like turn our head, like we're driving straight and then we look out the window for a minute to see something on our left, we would have moments where we just turn our face, turn our head, turn our attention, a slight repentance, a turning throughout the day. And behold it, behold you, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, longer if, longer if we are allowed, longer if we're able. And we would learn to practice your presence. Holy Spirit, teach us to love one another in this room, outside of this room. Teach us to love one another. Teach us to learn what it means that the world will know that we are your disciples because of the way that we love one another. Let us know how we can lay down our lives for each other. Let us know how we can learn to say, not you, but me. Or as Paul says to Timothy, think of others as better than yourself. Consider yourself not often. And, but instead, entrust yourself into his care, into the Lord's care. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you come to be with us and speak to us and that we get to learn how to do this together. We love you, and we honor you, and we celebrate you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.